resonance is energy to me and obviously your job is not to destroy anyone but to vibrate with the same energy that person has so the effect is multiplied and you can increase the energy of a person through resonating with them and you can resonate with somebody if you're empathetic if you listen empathically so resonance to me it's very important in leadership because when you resonate is where you can have big breakthrough Enrico Biscaro believes that the fastest way to success is serving others and that leadership takes courage He's traveled the world as an accomplished leader and for 15 years mentored, coached, and touched the lives of countless people, helping them become the best version of themselves and achieve their dreams. He is an MBA graduate with Beta Gamma Sigma Honors. He coached over 30 first-time managers. Five have now global or regional executive roles leading multi-million dollar portfolios. His focus is on repeatable performance, and he does not send emails after 5 p.m. and always takes a four-week vacation. In my conversation with Enrico, we're going to talk about this notion of resonance. On his website, he states that the limitlessness of what your team can achieve is your resonance as their leader. Resonance has a variety of meanings. One of those meanings refers to a vibration of large amplitude in a system caused by a small periodic stimulus. What the heck does that have to do with leadership? I'm curious. I hope you share that curiosity with me and You'll find out a little bit more about this notion of resonance as a leader and how you can use it along with energy to really ensure that your impact as a leader is driving positive change. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Welcome to Evolve, a new era of leadership a podcast for real leaders to join real conversations with business experts, practitioners, thought leaders, and change makers who integrate head, heart, and body in all they do, who commit to compassion and curiosity, who commit to radical self-leadership in their quest to understand others better too. Because the only way to deliver real results is to understand what it takes to lead real human beings. This is a new era of leadership. I'm Carolyn Suara, and this is Evolve, a new era of leadership. Hello, Evolve listeners. Welcome back for another episode of Evolve, a new era in leadership. And today's guest is coming to us from another country, not Canada. Today's guest is Enrico Biscaro. Welcome to the show, Enrico. Thank you very much, Caroline, for having me and for giving an opportunity to have a discussion with you. Yeah. And I know we've got a bit of a time change here going on. Where are you joining us from today? What part of the world? 
from British Columbia. Okay, I thought it was going to be more exotic than that because I remember a conversation about how much you love to travel. So that's where I'm getting lost. I was thinking somewhere much more exotic. Well, it's funny you mentioned because for me, where I am now, it's quite exotic. I am in the middle of British Columbia in a small town called Chetwin, mm. where I am doing a project for the company I'm currently working for. And so it's extremely exotic because I have deers in my backyard and the nature around us is absolutely fantastic for mm. someone that has lived these past 20 years in big cities. So I consider myself in a very exotic place. Wow. And I know when we talked, when we met, you really referenced how travel and your love of travel helped you in leadership and gave you perspective. And so maybe if you could just share a little bit about how traveling gave you some of these important lessons in leadership. But travel makes you extremely uncomfortable, especially if you start at a young age, as I did, led by my parents, of course. It makes you uncomfortable because you don't sleep in your room because you don't eat the food you're used to. You meet people that don't speak your language. And travel requires what leadership requires every day to get out of your comfort zone, one, and two, to adapt to the people around you. Yeah. So I think that travel certainly shaped my leadership style. And you started traveling, I'm guessing, at a young age. Where have you been through the world? I have an app that keeps track of that. I've not traveled extensively in Eastern Europe and Latin America. Mm. Going by exclusion, those are the two places in the world that have not traveled much. But Europe, North America, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, parts of Africa. It's a big place. I don't consider myself someone that has traveled the entire world. But it's not just about travel, you know, when I was young, okay, you go on vacation for a month, you go to one place to go to another. But then when I start traveling for work, you start living in a different place. And so you spend two years in Bahrain, and then I spent two years in Israel. That was a great experience because I went from a Muslim country working in Saudi Arabia into Israel right? Mm. Which is really kind of at the opposite, right? right? And still you find there that eventually what people want, the value are the same, no matter what they tell you on CNN or, or other, you know, Fox yep. News or whatever. The thing that unites us are, as human beings are way bigger than the things that divides right. us or supposedly divide us because I, I really think that that's a narrative that is pushed because of interest not because it's true and I, I can make example you know in the end everybody wants their children to be healthy they want their children to be successful right they care about their elderly they want to be happy these are guaranteed people don't want to go to war people want to have a job that fulfill them the basic needs are the same, no matter where they are. And I think looking at leadership, no matter where you are in the world, you can find commonality with people. And no yes. matter where you are in your leadership journey, 
you can find commonality with a person that needs your support. And I say it needs your support because leadership for me is service in one word. You're there to serve others. Yeah. And so there's a real perspective that you gain traveling and working through different parts of the world to see that humanity in action. And like you said, we all kind of have similar values at the end of the day, want similar things if we sort of break down all the different sort of political and religious things that might separate us or, you know, identity sort of things as well. So in our conversation, when we first, as I said, when we first met, we talked a lot about your travel and perspective. We talked about storytelling as well as a powerful tool for leadership. And I know that you've just recently released a book called Resonance Stories and Strategies for Global Team Breakthroughs. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write that book? What inspired me to write the book is that another of those desire, which is, I think, innate in everyone, to leave a small trace from the person who put his hand on the cave and spray some paint to leave his mark to to the guy that built the pyramids or the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. You know, we all want to leave a trace. And, and my trace is certainly is not going to be a big pyramids or a great invention or not much. But if somebody reads this book and it resonates with a person in his leadership journey, then I would have left my trace and I would be happy with that. Mm. And so resonance, and I know that the cover, the last cover that I saw, I'm not sure if it ended up being the final cover, was very stunning. It, it had some beautiful colors in it. Definitely the sense of like a circle or sort of this sense of roundness. What, you know, I kind of think of team dynamics when I think of that. Can you tell us why resonance? What does resonance mean and why is it the title of your book? Because resonance is very powerful. If you think about the opera singer that breaks the glass, mm. she does it through, she or he, you know, does it through resonance. Actually, this is related to a story. When I did my first training course, when I joined the second company I worked for, I was hired as a drilling engineer. And so they teach you about what happened when you drill a hole. And one of the big problem you have is resonance, because if you put your drill string or a big steel tube in resonance, you, you're going to break everything. So resonance is a very powerful force. And during that course, they show a video of their bridge. It's a famous Tacoma Narrow Bridge in the United States. A very light breeze caused the bridge to collapse because at that time, the concept was not very well understood. So the bridge went into resonance and it got destroyed. Mm. So Resonance is energy to me, and obviously your job is not to destroy anyone, but to vibrate with the same energy that person has, so the effect is multiplied, and you can increase the energy of a person through resonating with them. And you can resonate with somebody if you're empathetic, if you listen empathically, so Resonance to me, it's very important in leadership because when you resonate is where you can have big breakthrough. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Say a little bit more. Like I know you commented about resonance is about vibrating and being in tune with others and energy is infinite when you resonate with somebody. From a content perspective, 
What do you write about in the book? What do you share with readers about resonance and energy? I think that everybody resonates to, to stories, right? Stories are what they made us, our culture. That's what we are told when we go to bed when we were a child. So basically the book, it's a little story, personal story. Yep. And from that story, there's a leadership lesson to be taken, right? Right. So for example, I talk about resilience, which I think is an important thing to build in your team, you know, yep. when, when you lead. And so I tell the story about my two grandmothers. They both lived in very different time. And one went through two world war, wow. Spanish flu. The second one, she was born in the middle of the Spanish flu and she had only one world war. And so they were telling me their story and they've always been extremely resilient. And I've learned resilience from them. One of my grandmother was kidnapped during the second oh, world war. Wow. So she was kidnapped. She was a teacher and she was kidnapped by the Cossack, which were from the Eastern Europe. So she could not speak the language. The only word she knew in, in their language was teachers. So she said, I'm a teacher. So the soldier, instead of taking her, God only yes. knows where, yeah. they took her to the director of the school district. And the director that had known my grandmother only once, said, yeah, she's a teacher. And they let her go. And this goes back to the thing that makes us common, you know. They let her go because she was a teacher and because there's a respect for teacher, because they take care of your children, because they serve the community. And so they let her go. And so that's one of the stories that's in the book. And so, yes, my grandmother told me about being resilient. And then I was thinking about me complaining that I was in quarantine during the COVID, right? Mm. And working and watching Netflix, etc. And then I was talking thinking about my grandmother and all the people that lived through the war and said, well, I have really no rights to, to complain you know, mm. when you put things in perspective. That's an example of what I write in the book, right? Yeah. So that was chapter one. I believe it was chapter one or chapter two. And I think it was chapter yeah. one. And you've got 31 stories in here. What was the hardest lesson for you to learn or like the hardest story for you to share with the readers? One of the hardest story that was difficult for me to share was we lived in the States for three years and I share a story of you know one day my daughter came back from school crying she was seven at the time so just a kid and so we asked you know what's going on why, why are you crying and, and she said well eventually you know they asked me if I go to church I said that I don't believe in God and they told me that you will burn in hell and you have no soul right mm. and so these is kids that are six or seven years old that really you think about okay you know obviously this behavior does not come from the kids you cannot really blame the kids right and so you see a world where there's an immediate closure to somebody that is different right in this case different religion or, or belief sets and that made us very uncomfortable living in that place where we were at the time. You know? mm. And that was a difficult story to share because usually we adapted very well everywhere we went. Those years were difficult to integrate in a society which is very close from the beginning. You know, where mm. people certainly are very nice, very, very friendly from the exterior, but 
the minutes they feel that you are not like them, then there's this mm. closure, you know, that all the doors shuts. Right. There's still places in the world that function with this type of behavior. Right. And adapting to those is difficult, but you need to adapt, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing that was the sort of lesson is the importance of adaptability in that chapter? Correct. Yes, yeah. in that chapter is the importance of adaptability to, to every situation you encounter, even the more difficult, you know. Mm, yeah. Now, I'm kind of curious. One of these chapters is titled Rats are Ticklish. Um, I'm not a big fan of rats myself, so I'm kind of curious about how you found out that rats are ticklish. <laughs> well, there was a study that happy rats, if you make rats happy or smiling, they're, they're more productive and they can do tasks more efficiently, right? Mm. And, and I think um, the lesson there is that it's important for you as a leader to always have a smile on your face, you know, regardless of what goes through your day when you face your team or difficulties you need to be able to go in with a smile mm. because you're and back to resonance you know this is very very relative to resonance whatever is on your face will just resonate with the people in front of you and they will mimic that you know we're very social animal we mimic the behavior of the other people so you as a yeah. leader you cannot really afford to have a bad day, so to speak. Mm. One of the nicest compliments that, that I received was from someone that it was a very difficult situation, one of the many, and, and eventually said, you know, Enrico, what I really like about you is that no matter how deep in trouble we are, you always make us laugh. And that's why then we can 90% of the time solve the problem, right? And if we don't, we know that there's no consequences for us, right? Right. So I think it's extremely important for a leader to be always smiling. And then this brings to another consideration that is not easy to do. You talk about leadership and, and trauma. So it's very important for the leader to manage her own energy as well. Right, right. So you need to take care of yourself very often before you take care of your team. And that's why I always say, you know, a leader needs to manage energy, not time. Your role as a manager is managing time. You know, you need to manage a task and time. The shift between management and leadership, when are your leader, managing the energy is way more important. Yeah. The energy of the team. But first, just like on a plane, you know, put your oxygen mask first. Yeah. That needs to be front and center of your leadership journey because if you burn down, well, the plane is going to crash. Yeah. So there's a few things you, you said in there I want to I ask more about. So I want to circle back to the perspective you shared about being happy or putting a smile on your face. So I know there are people, there's a school of thought out there that, well, not even just a school of thought, like a lot of evidence around toxic positivity being sort of detrimental. And so I'm curious how you would position what you said to this notion of toxic positivity. Putting a smile on your face every morning does not mean that mm. you cannot show vulnerability. Yep. Okay. So when you make an example, you take your story and you make your story, but in reality, you want to be 80% of the time like that. And then because when you're that, that allows you to show vulnerability without yes. showing weakness. Yeah. Right? 
so what I used to do is, okay, I'm, I have a bad day. I know I have a bad day. I go to work. I start a day with a smile on my face and I show that I am full of energy. I'm ready to go and we're going to fix the problem. Right. Yeah. But that never prevented me to have a one-to-one conversation with my senior leadership and say, Hey, you know, we have a problem. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the stress. I'm feeling the nervousness. And, and that's a different conversation when you lead you also know your team and you have different level of interaction with different personality. But let's say you get into the office and need to walk through the corridor and you have from this, literally from the janitor, the last people that you hired and your senior leader, you know, they all need to see that you're smiling. Then you can have the other conversation at different levels. Here's what I hear, Enrico, and I'm really glad that we're making this differentiator for the listeners because I didn't think that you were presuming that we have to be happy and force happiness, but a smile can create a sense of safety. It can be an indicator to other parties that, hey, this is safe, right? It's safe, welcoming. It's not going to necessarily promise safety, but it's an indicator that could signal that. And that I think is what opens the door. Well, not, I think I know that that's what opens the door for vulnerability and welcoming that conversation with others. So I'm glad we made that distinction because I, I don't think it's just happy. It's, it's just creating, like I said, it's an indicator of this is safe. I want to hear from you. I want to interact with you. I absolutely agree. Along with other things, obviously, I don't want to say like, hey, you just go smile and everybody's going to you know, think that everything's safe. But um, <laughs> now the other thing that you said there too, which is around energy and great leaders manage energy, not time. How did you learn that lesson for yourself? Is there a story in there that helped you really embody that saying? Uh, yes, for sure. I mean, I, I failed to do that in the place in my career and, and the consequences I dragged them with me for many years in terms of in term of um, high level of stress, anxiety. Mm. So I made that mistake <laughs> to yeah. manage my energy. And so I say that uh, from a direct uh, consequences of a painful personal experience where you find yourself working 14, 15, 16 hours per day, you're not well supported, a lot of pressure, and you think that if you don't do certain things, you're inadequate, career might suffer, or you might lose your job. And that's a vicious circle that unless you are very aware of your limits and you put a stop by managing the energy, right? Seeing that your batteries are drained, say, okay, I need to stop no matter what happened. You know, mm-hmm. I need to stop because my battery needs recharging. That's something that, unfortunately, they don't teach you in leadership school, right? Mm. The models are, and especially, I must say, this day, you know, when, when you have very famous CEO going around saying, oh, you know, I, I sleep in the office and the hustle culture, etc., where this type of behavior is rewarded, it's difficult to learn these on your own. It's important to have this conversation. And if you have young listeners that are just started their leadership path, etc., you know, do not trust your instinct. Do not trust your gut. You'll get to a point where you'll burn out mm. and stop before you do that. That would be my advice. What sort of practices or things would you recommend to people to help? Or what works for I you? Will, 
I will not uh, suggest cold bath every day or meditation. <laughs> that has never worked for me. Yep. Quite frankly, I run. Um, mm, okay. So running is my meditation, if you will. Yep. I cannot stand still for five minutes. That's, mm. that's one of the things I carry over from my childhood. But I can run. And when I run, that's where I recharge my battery. Nice, nice. But this is a very personal thing, how you recharge your batteries. I think yes. breathing techniques are, are important. You know, if you, you can learn one of those, you can get one of those apps that yep. you, you have today. And I found that breathing technique works. So maybe you call that meditation and that's okay. But I'm not here to tell, oh, there's a recipe. You need to find what makes you recharge. And it could be right. painting. It could be, I don't know, writing poetry, whatever. Yeah. And so, Enrico, what's your hope? If somebody picks up this book and they read your stories, what action do you hope they take from reading it? Well, I hope that they have an open mind to say, I think I could try this and I would probably become a better leader. Mm. Yeah. So again, 31 stories. There's a lot in there. Are there certain themes out of these 31 stories that maybe you could give us a bit of a hint around, a little bit of a teaser into your book? It goes from uh, resilience, as we said, into, we spoke a lot about managing energy. Uh, we spoke about creating habits, basically how to become a more effective leader for your team overall. Mm, yeah. One of the things I loved about the piece that I read was just how relatable the story is. And it just sort of feels like I'm in that moment there with you and, and you know, you do a beautiful job at sort of bringing the reader into that story. And in terms of storytelling as a leadership tool, is that something that you share with clients or that you hope people can find their own ways to build a legacy around their own stories? Or I do share this with customer. And I think that back in the days where we were hunting and gathering food, and I don't know why we lost this, but the strongest leader was not the person with the stronger arm or the mm. best ability to hunt. The stronger leader was the person that was telling the best story, right? You can be a fantastic leader, but if you cannot teach other how to lead, or you can be a fantastic hunter, but if you cannot teach other people how to hunt, then you're not really effective in a situation where you survival back in the days or having a successful business. And it's through story, I think, that you can achieve the biggest resonance with other people, not by mm -hmm. telling. And the example I always make, you know, I think I was known in my company, I said it many times, don't use an agenda in PowerPoint. I'm not interested. I know what you're here for. I know what you're talking about. Tell me a story. Yeah. In the first slide, you need to tell me a story that relates to the agenda. And if the story is good, trust me, I will buy whatever you're selling me after slide one, right? That's how I tell people to use storytelling, mm. you know? And, and a lot of people say, you know, I'm afraid to present or I'm afraid to be in front of other people. And, and I said, look, you know, when you're with me or when you are with the people you know, you're very good at storytelling. So picture yourself telling a story, not giving a presentation 
And that changes immediately, not the psychology or neuropsychology, but I'm sure that the switch from, oh, I need to present something to I am now telling a story yeah. must change your dynamic in your brain because you immediately become excited about, oh, I want to tell a story, right? Everybody wants to hear a story and everybody likes to tell a good story. Yeah. And yeah. so I think storytelling is, is very important in, in leadership because of that. Enrico, where could our listeners find your book? Where And if they want to learn more about you, where could they go? The book is on Amazon, but before going to Amazon, you can go to www.resonancestories.com. We'll make sure it's in the yeah. show notes. So, so and, and in, in that website, you can access uh, three chapters directly on the website. You can download a small PDF. And then there, if you like what you see, you can go to Amazon and purchase the book. That's fantastic. So giving the readers a good sort of sense of what you're writing about and what you're sharing. So Enrico, I usually end off the podcast by inviting the guests to answer three questions. Are you game to answer these three questions of an evolved leader? Oh, absolutely. All right. All right. So the first one is around self-awareness. Is there something that you could share with us that was a hard lesson to learn, really uncomfortable, but gave you a lot of insight about yourself? The most uncomfortable situation I was, I let go of my job after 19 years. Mm. And of course, that was not super comfortable. But I realized that when that happened, I realized that the fact that I never identified myself with my job, right, or my career, allowed me to say, that's okay. The fact that I lost my job does not define me. And I think this is something that a lot of people do. I've seen it. A lot of people identify themselves with their career. So yeah. when they lose that, that becomes a very, very painful experience. I've seen it. I also had to let a few people go in my career. So I've seen it. And so realizing that your job, your career should never define who you are. Mm. You're way more than what you do for a living yeah it's an important realization that i i hope that the listener can have a a reflection about this mm, yeah thanks Enrico. uh second question we sort of talked a little bit this we touched a little bit on it earlier in our conversation but what is a practice or a ritual that you turn to to help regulate your nervous system or bring you back into a state of regulation? Running. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we, we, we did say it. It's, it's, How many uh, times a day do you run? Every other day, but the mm. day I don't run, I go to the gym. So exercise in general, right? But running is certainly better than going to the gym. Mm. But they say that you need to build some muscle at a certain age. So that's what I'm trying to do. And it sounds like given the beautiful landscape that you're living within, that runs might be very therapeutic through nature as well. They will be the path at the moment, the smelting season here in Northern Canada. So there's mud everywhere. You can really mm. run, but they will be. The sunrise are beautiful mm. around here. Yeah. Beautiful. Now, last but not least, the final question has to do with our connection with others. And so this question is an invitation to share a song or a genre of music that makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself? 
it cannot be but born to run by mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> hey, well, you're nothing if, if not consistent. <laughs> I, I'm not making this up, but there's actually a chapter in my book about, I think it's called, he was born in the USA, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Where I talk about my passion for Bruce Springsteen and how, if you see him as a storyteller, once again, not as a musician, you change completely the perspective. And now for three hours, he can make 100,000 people resonate with his music and people at different ages, etc. So it looks like this thing about running a board to run the stage, but no, it, it's actually in the book. So it's not something that uh, Carolyn and I prepare carefully. It's, <laughs> it's really me. Uh, that's wonderful. Well, Enrico, is there, are there any last words or sage wisdom that you would like to impart on our <laughs> listeners before we wrap up? I, <laughs> no, I don't consider myself a sage or have any particular wisdom, but just remember that leadership takes courage. Mm. It absolutely does. A wonderful way to end things off. And, you know, I think your book really shares stories of of that and really uh, embodies what that statement says. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. And uh, do you have a run like after we're done here? Or, you know, do you have some weights to go lift after we finish off? Well, as a matter of fact, I will up too early for running so yes i am going for a run after this we'll we'll let you we'll let you go run thank you so much and thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to this episode and we will have all of enrico's uh, contact information and links to his book located in our show notes if you enjoyed our podcast today please like and subscribe and leave a review for us it really helps have a good day everyone thanks for tuning in Here's what's resonating with me after my conversation with Enrico. And that is the power of storytelling. And as leaders, how are you using storytelling as a way to resonate with the people you work with? Sometimes we can get caught up in thinking we have to have the best story or be a really charismatic storyteller. And that's not necessarily the case. I hope our conversation today has inspired you to find some key learnings or key stories that you could share with the people that you work with that can build energy, can build some resonance and connection between you and the people that you work with. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. And if you are interested in more of the work that I do, please go to carolynsuara.com. You can find my new book, Evolve, The Path to Trauma-Informed Leadership, available there, as well as a few other packages you might want to consider for your company or for your team.